Welcome to your Lighting Lady podcast, a place for inspiring ideas and practical advice to help you improve the lighting in your home. I'm Josie Ratton, a former lighting designer and lover of all things home design. I use my two decades of experience to provide simple ways you can have the lighting you love. I hope you'll join me and get ready to be inspired about the difference good lighting can make. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of your Lighting Lady podcast. Today, I'm excited to talk to Dr. Shelley James about the research she and her team have done on the long-term impact of light on the growing eye and brain, and how we can use those findings to make healthier choices for our children's lives. Dr. Shelley James is a luminologist. She's an international expert on light and well-being, and a passionate advocate for public engagement with science. Her thriving consultancy builds on a first career in branding for organizations, including Visa International, Sony Ericsson, and Cancer Research UK. A PhD from the Royal College of Art led to research into the optical properties of glass and commissions including the Medical Research Council Centenary, Science Gallery Dublin, and the collaboration with Sir Roger Penrose, Arts Council England, and the Saatchi Gallery. Current clients include BIOS, FOS, Glamox Luxonic, Sol Semiconductors, Signify, Zumtobel, King's College London, and the Royal College of Art. She is artist-in-residence at the Bristol Eye Hospital and associate artist at the Institute for Advanced Studies at University of London and an elected member of the Royal Society of British Sculptures. Speaking engagements include the Royal Society and the BBC World Service. She recently appeared on the award-winning BBC series, Revolutions, Ideas That Change the World. Hi, Shelley, and welcome to my podcast. We're excited to have you here and appreciate your time coming all the way from England. Um, with the time zone, I got it to work, so that's great. So welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be here. So if you can tell our listeners kind of a little about you and your background and your journey into lighting and lighting research. So I began, I suppose, as a tiny baby, really. I was born in Jamaica and I was lucky enough to live all over the world growing up. I lived in Africa, I lived in America, I lived all over the place. And I was always really struck as I went, even as a, as a little girl, from different countries about how different the lighting, the light felt from the tropics to a rainy England and then all sorts of different places. And... As I grew older, I trained in illustration in Paris and I started to work with brands on how you can use light and color to create an experience of, a, of an organization. I worked with Visa International in San Francisco. I worked with lots of big organizations on using color and light and texture to express their brand values. And I used a lot of different scientific techniques for testing how somebody was, somebody's eyes and brains were responding because we know that if you can attract somebody's visual attention, then their bodies turn to face where their eyes are going and then very often their hands reach out. So your eyes, in the way that the medieval, in fact, in the way that the Greeks thought about the way your eyes worked, they believed that your eyes actually reached out and touched things in the world and that it sort of brought information back. And if you've ever had the experience of reach, trying to find a, a set of keys or something and find that you can't find them anywhere and suddenly they're there and they were there all along. 
that's where those ancient philosophers had this idea of vision as being something that there was a world of hidden things out there that they were only revealed to you if your eyes were sort of in the right place to see them and your mind was in the right place to see them. And I, so I used lots of different scientific techniques to test how our eyes are working and how our eyes are directing our experience of the world. And then I actually had a couple of bad head injuries myself, which meant that my brain got shaken around inside my skull so badly that I had to retrain the way my eyes were working. And that led me to a very different experience of how vision and perception worked, because I was very acutely aware of how the eye filters information, because the particular condition that I had meant that I was very quickly overloaded when there were different things happening in a scene. I couldn't I couldn't separate out the different things that were happening. And actually, it turns out that's quite similar to the way that children with autism or other sorts of processing differences experience the world. So I had to retrain my brain and, and the things I'd been doing in corporate branding, I realised that they were fascinating, but what I really wanted to do was to experiment with light and perception and vision myself. And so I trained in printmaking and I used scans of my own brain and started to put them inside glass. I developed some techniques for um, printing inside glass and that actually led me to a residency at Corning in New York. So I've had a wonderful experience of travelling around the world working with scientists to play with glass and light and pattern to trick the brain into believing that things are there when they're not there. And in fact, another a funny project well you'll start to think that I'm very accident prone but I fell over and broke my ankle very badly and that led me to me wondering how on earth we, we're used to wandering around and when you watch children walking around you, you realize how precarious our grip on on steps really is and actually you look at old older people as well whereas our balance changes through life so I did some work with um, scientists on the way that the brain processes the ground and illusions of depth and how our experience of walking is affected by vision. So I was able to create illusions of depth which were able to see that you could create a panel which was only 10 centimetres, I guess that's about four inches deep, that people believed were 60 centimetres deep, so that's a couple of feet deep. And you could get people to change the way they behaved because their eyes were so sure that there was this deep thing there and their whole bodies would freeze. And you could tell whether people have conditions like schizophrenia by the way they process illusions. But anyway, all of that led to a PhD from the Royal College of Art and then interest in light, to light my own work in glass. And that... I was trying to find an electrician to help me to light my own work for a big exhibition at the Saatchi Gallery and couldn't find anybody actually. So I ended up, well, I found somebody who was very expensive and very complicated. So I trained as an electrician so I could do that for myself. And I also now work with artists to help them to light their work. And then I trained in lighting design because it's such an interesting field and the way that the wiring in the wall and the wiring in your brain are surprisingly similar. So there's a whole load of fabulous crossovers that I discovered. And so that led to when lockdown came, a number of things in my life were no longer possible. And so I came to the South Coast here where I am now to to shelter with my with my mum. And I was fascinated by and actually very saddened by the way that the young people around me, my nieces and my godchildren, were really suffering from being locked indoors. And 
I became really interested. Well, I knew how much light mattered, how what a difference it could make to your to your mood, to your ability to concentrate, to your ability to actually navigate the world just physically, how 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 well you could find your balance and find things in the world and and understand other people's expressions. So that led to the project that I've been working on over I suppose it's now been seven or eight months and we've had 1.9 million views so far uh, it's been translated into several languages we've had a quarter of a million views in India in the last five days so we're just what, what we've what I was fascinated by and I suppose humbled by is how excited well how important teens young people feel that light is and their own health and well-being is and we often give them a bad rap for being you know superficial and always stuck to their screens but what I found through this project is that if you give them information that's relevant and that's clear and that is impartial and isn't bullying they very often find a way to to not only use it and share it but also to um, to invite other people to do the same. Yeah, so this is the the Lunar Kids Project that you started, and you really wanted to look into the um, the growing eye and the growing the growing brain and how light affected that, and especially as it related to the lockdown, that was really sort of the goal and that was the impetus of starting it. Is that that correct? That's absolutely right, because what I realised very soon is that parents and kids really don't have any information at school or in anywhere else really about how light affects them and yet it affects every single dimension of our bodies and brains and so this project I suppose I called it Luna what I did was to create a sort of an avatar a character who's the host for the project and I created a series of concepts I work with a team of young people from Bristol who are kindly my guinea pigs, my focus group, and I shared some different routes with them, cartoons and other solutions. And what I found with feedback from them is that a TikTok-style, youtube very bouncy, very accessible style was really what they would respond to. And so that led to the design of these very short video clips. There are, some of them, are, we have a short version of 40 seconds, and then we have a medium version of about a minute, a minute and a half, which gives them some more information about solutions. And then behind each of those is a conversation, a recorded half an hour conversation with a scientist about the background, about what's really happening, just in case the, the, the young person or their parent wants to find out a little bit more about the science behind it. Yeah, and so in, term, so in terms of the goal your goal of the research and what you were trying to look into in particular, were there particular things you were looking into or were there um, results you were looking at? Um, and what, what was the general, the general overall um, like goal or thesis of the, of the project? So the, the overall goal was to help young people and their parents to understand how they could do some very, very simple things with light that would just completely transform a number of really important things to them. And I worked with the teens to find out which, of all the things that, that you could talk about, which ones really mattered. And so that we came up together with five themes that you could do very simple things 
with light and particularly with daylight mostly the things are free and they would make a massive difference pretty much overnight the first one is about the first one is about vision and we know that and you might not know actually that your eyes are growing between the ages of when you're born until you're about 18 your eyes grow by 60% and like a plant if you if your eyes grow in the dark they grow like a plant or spindly and if they grow the wrong shape myopic eyes grow too long which means that the the light doesn't focus in the right place which means that your your vision is a bit blurry and most people think most most people and kids think well if their parents wear glasses they'll have to wear glasses too it's just that's just the way it is but it turns out that if you get enough daylight about 80 minutes a day so that's about taking phone calls or listening to a podcast outside a couple of times a day ideally in the morning but actually for this stuff it doesn't really matter daylight for about 80 minutes a day can cut your chances of needing glasses by 40 percent or up to 40 percent so and we know also that children or young people particularly in early years they very often can't see very well but they know they can't say why and they think it's normal so they find themselves in a classroom or in an environment where it's just tremendously confusing and frightening and very often people are diagnosed with ADHD or other sorts of behavioural issues only for people to realise many years later that the real reason why they were fidgeting or behaving badly was that they just couldn't see what the heck was going on. And if any of us were sitting there with glasses, with smeary glasses on for hours on end, being told we were stupid, we'd probably behave badly too. So that was the first... The first thing to say to help them to understand is that even through lockdown and perhaps especially through lockdown, getting outside a couple of times a day, chatting to your friends on the phone outside, listening to a podcast, listening to music would help your eyes to grow the right shape. So that was the first one. And they seem to care about that. The other thing was about um, getting enough sleep. And we bug them all the time about switching off and blue light, da da and they just needed to understand why blue light's a problem. And blue light is a bit like drinking a Coke or a strong, uh, strong coffee. It takes about two hours to get through your system. And if you drink a, str- a, a can of Coke or a Red Bull two hours before bed, you know you're going to struggle to sleep. And actually, while you're sleeping, your brain is rewiring, particularly as a, as a teen or a young person. All of the connections are resetting. And we know that if teens don't get enough sleep, they are more likely to abuse alcohol. They're more likely to become obese. They're more likely to be depressed. They're more likely to make sort of risky financial decisions. They're vulnerable in lots and lots of ways. And the the impact of not doing that bit of wiring during those critical years lasts for the rest of their lives. So again, it's an absolute critical time to get sleep so that your bo- your brain can get on with the job and you can actually learn about 20% more just by getting a good night's sleep so it may feel as if oh i was going to say for the sleep is that starting or what what kind of age is where that's really critical because i know as a baby it's very different to say when you become like a young child and then it really changes again almost i think when you become a teenager so when is that critical time of making sure you are getting enough sleep for the, for the development 
It's actually it's actually critical all the way through because the your brain, the wiring in your brain is changing. In fact, what happens between the ages of zero and about two is that there's a massive explosion in the number of connections in your brain. It's just is extraordinary. It's like a lawn in the middle of summer. It's just amazing. And then, so that's between the ages of about zero and the ages of about two. And in fact, your body clock is already setting in your mother's womb. And it's receiving information about night and day all the way through pregnancy. And some wonderful work in a children's hospital in Cincinnati is looking at how important it is to particularly for premature babies how important it is to um, set that clock correctly and thoughtfully and carefully in the early early years so that that explosion of brain connections can happen and then between the ages of two and the next couple of years after that there is a, a tuning and pruning that happens so the brain is trying to work out of all those different options which ones are going to be useful later in life and so nutrition but also sleep and getting a good social diet a good the all of the things which are going to teach your brain what the world's like those happen next so sleep really matters then and then i suppose the next critical phase is in that shift from a pre-adolescent through an adolescent brain and the the circadian the the sleep wake cycle for a teenager shifts later by about two hours so in an, an a normal adult your melatonin that 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 i it's that sleepy thing starts at about nine o'clock and so you need to be switching off bright lights by then so that the the caffeine essentially is worn off by the time you're ready to go to bed at about seven uh, sorry at about 11 and then that your body starts to be ready to wake up um in by about six to seven and then you're ready to yeah there's a very specific cycle of when different parts of your things like your digestion and your alertness and your physical strength all those things have a very particular sequence and if you disrupt that you're more likely to get cancer all kinds of things happen but for a teenager that that clock is shifted later by about two hours so if you try and get a teenager to wake up at the time when you would want them to get up sort of at seven it's actually like trying to get up yourself at five o'clock in the morning and you can see why you'd be grumpy being told to get up at that time of day every day and then to get up and go and do training or something i mean it's there've been some lovely work in new york where they changed the start time of schools from i think it was 8 to 9:30 and they found that um a, academic attainment went up they found that deaths from accidents on the road went down they found that uh, particularly what was really interesting is that young women from disadvantaged backgrounds found the biggest boost in their performance in their mood in their survival rate actually through those teen years so we you need to be aware that a teenager their body clock is different it's absolutely vital that they get around eight hours sleep so you just need to work backwards with them to find the right time for them to go to sleep there's something else that's really important to them and again with the teens we realized that that was something they were wondering about was about catching up at sleep at the weekend instead of so you kind of burn the candle at both ends during the week and then uh 
you just kind of sleep in at the weekends. Well, but not only is it actually almost physically impossible to catch up with the number of hours of sleep that they're missing, but actually something called social jet lag, and you may have had it yourself where you kind of sleep in because you've had a boozy night at the weekend. If you sleep in, if that shift in your normal sleep-wake cycle, so the time when it's dark for you and the time when you get a good burst of bright sunlight, if that is shifted too much by about more than an hour and a half regularly over the weekend, you, you suffer from something called social jet lag. And teens who regularly had that sort of crazy difference in their body clock, they were more likely, to, they were about one and a half times more likely to suffer from depression. So we know that having a good steady rhythm, a good steady routine, which involves bright light during the morning and dim light so that your that caffeine response can wear off and then proper dark nights will help you and them to set their body clocks correctly. And that will make a massive difference to every single thing. It's probably the single most important thing you can do with the light. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so what were some other things that you found? Yeah. So another thing that was important to them and interesting was that not only is it important to have that sleep-wake cycle, but also we know that during the winter particularly, people suffer from low mood, uh, something called seasonal affective disorder, which is that just kind of grisly, grim feeling that you get for the winter. And the sister to the melatonin, the sleep response, is the serotonin and the dopamine pathway, which is your wake up and feel happy response. And it's literally like a happy drug. And we know that it's a set of cells right in the, tucked in the very dark center of the brain, which respond to bright light in the morning and they need a certain amount of light for about an hour and we know you can you can get something called a sad lamp but we don't know all the things about how those work so you can't really beat an hour outside and of course that's going to help your eye growth at the same time so if you can get out in daylight for about an hour every morning before 10 that will set your body clock, but it will also set your mood clock correctly. And we also know, obviously, if you add a little bit of exercise, like a little bit of fast walking or even something more strenuous, you're also going to get the endorphins kicking in as well. So you're likely to support your, you're, you're likely to feel better, essentially, and that's going to help you to do all kinds of things better. So we know that mood is a main driver of motivation and concentration. So we know, you know that when you feel a bit miserable, it's really hard to do anything much. So supporting your mood with good quality lighting, not only potentially a sad lamp to boost through the winter, but actually simply getting outside and sitting close to the window will make a massive difference. And one of the things that people don't realise is that you can get a free light meter on your phone. It's an app, like a, it's called a Lux meter. There are lots of free ones. And what that will allow you to do if you turn download it you, it works from your camera and it's really interesting because you'll see that where you're sitting by your desk perhaps a long way from, from the window there are there's not many lux coming in but actually if you bring to the window you see the numbers zoom up and that's really exciting to see so your eyes are amazing light meters they're incredible but your telephone's not bad either and so if you can prioritize sitting by the window to eat to take a phone call to do your whatsapping to do all of that you will give your brain and your body a boost and 
the other thing that makes a big difference because if you are have access to a window is that you're able to see the world outside and that helps us to get, put things in perspective particularly when life seems a bit grim and as a teenager it very often does so seeing a bit of nature seeing the clouds it sometimes helps you to see things in a different perspective there's one other theme which might be useful and certainly a lot of teenagers are interested in this is is the theme of flicker and it's not what's interesting is that your brain is picking up information at a much much faster rate than you can consciously experience it and you probably had the experience of ducking a tennis ball that was coming in really fast and that's because there's a bit of your eyeball that got, but it was very clear there was something coming in before your slow old brain worked, oh, that's a tennis ball, I better duck. So that tennis ball reflex is amazing. And it's actually not even that fast. There is There are parts of your brain which are processing it up to 12,000 cycles per second, which means that you can a light source can be flickering and all electric light sources do flicker to some extent. It can be flickering or your screen can be flickering in a way that's keeping your brain in a constant tennis ball reflex, a constant high alert. And that for about 10% of people creates eye strain because your eyes are struggling to, it's flickering around the scene trying to work out what's going on. It also creates that that ongoing flicker makes it's very tiring and it also for 10 for one in 10 people actually gives some headaches and for a smaller proportion of that about one percent of that you actually get epilepsy so strobing lights or fast flickering lights even at a rate that's much faster than your conscious brain can see is a real problem for lots and lots of young people because their brains are much faster than us older ones so that's something else that a lot of young people were very concerned about, but also interested to learn about how you can use your mobile phone to take a slow motion video. It's not a scientific measure, and a lot of mobile phones now even out flicker, but you can see whether there is something which is interfering. If, you, if you're if you on Zoom and you can see the, fo the, the, the light strobing in the image, it's because the light in your space is strobing. And the filter the refresh rate of your screen is allowing you to see that in a way that's conscious but there's a part of your brain that is picking that up and depending on how sensitive you are it either picks it up and goes oh it's not a big deal or some people's brains picks it up and go oh there's something out there so we found that about flicker was a real issue that that teens were really interested in so that's something else to consider. So what were solutions that you um, talked to people about for that? Really just kind of looking at your light, see if you could see flicker, say, in a screen, and then just changing out your light? Did you have recommendations to, like, what you could change to? Or So, yes, I mean, the first thing is very often just changing the light bulb will do it because light bulbs get old. They don't. They seem to be still working fine, but actually over time the electronics in the light bulb can get old. So that can be a, a reason. Sometimes the the switch for your light bulb can be not compatible. So that's a little bit more complicated, particularly if you've got a dimmer switch. If the if that sit little sort of conversation between the light bulb and the power coming out of the wall isn't working very well, then the way that the 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 current is being chopped up can lead to flicker. So if you find that changing the light bulb isn't helping, 
then and particularly if you're finding it it gives you a headache or makes you feel a bit sick or it makes you feel sensitive then it's going to be worth speaking to an electrician and asking them to just come and have a look at the at the lighting system yeah and then definitely i mean with the dimmer switch i think when you do select a dimmer just checking on the box that what you're buying is compatible with the light bulb that you're wanting to control because you know it should say there on the box is it for leds or is it for incandescent or is it for fluorescent so you don't want to be buying one that's that's not compatible and i think that's that's one of the key things to look for when you buy dimmers especially especially with leds nowadays because a lot of them aren't compatible with leds and you just need to make sure you get the right one you also need to make sure that the light bulb itself is dimmable if you've got a dimmer yes because and you'll see on the box there's a sort of a a circle with sort of a dial on it and it'll say dimmable or if you're buying online there'll be a there'll be a box which says dimmable or not dimmable and actually a lot of them are dimmable now but you need to be because an old-fashioned incandescent lamp involved a glowing wire inside a, a glass a glass jar really and so all you would do when you were dimming that was simply to put less current in so it didn't glow so hot but now with a with an led what's happening is that you've got little tiny packets of energy being squeezed through some electronics and as it squeezes through that electronics it gives off a burst of light energy and the way that the dimming very often works in the in the in the cheaper ones essentially is that it simply spaces out the packets of light that are coming out of the light bulb which means that you're you've got bigger and bigger gaps between the packets of light and your eye and brain start to pick that up so some of the more sophisticated technology now chops instead of just having smaller bigger gaps between the packets of information between the packets of light the better quality ones um, have smaller packets of light as well so you ha you're not simply having big gaps you're actually having smaller packets of energy coming out as well so that's another reason to look for lamps which say they're dimmable because they will at least have built in some of that better quality technology yeah yeah and definitely and there's also one thing where i think when you buy a higher quality light bulb or dimmer you're going to get that better technology um than buying maybe something it looks cheap but there might be a reason that it's cheap because it's not quite the electronics aren't quite as good as buying something that's a that's a more high quality yeah so what are you working on now what's your next project or what are you expanding on so i became really acutely aware that about 80% of the lights that are bought for schools, for hospitals, for offices are bought by people who have no training in light at all and most of them are paid to get something done cheaply and quickly. So they're paid to get something done on a budget to a particular number specification. And if you think about saying, I just need to get this many calories. How can I get them cheapy, cheaply? You could buy a Mars bar, you get loads of calories for not much more money, and you're done. Jobs are good. If you're saying, I want a healthy diet for this young person, and this is the budget, then you will be behaving, you'll be thinking about it in a very different way. And so I, what I'm working on now is a project 
called Luna Pro because it's for professional buyers of light. And I've been talking to companies from all around the world, including the States, people who have worked with NASA and children's hospitals and huge offices and schools to to find people to find the, those amazing stories of people who have held out for a better quality light and so that so that we can start to tell the story of how really thinking carefully about light doesn't need to cost any more it doesn't need to be more difficult but it can actually make a massive difference to your business so we know that uh, well I know that if I can make the business case for healthier lighting, then people are going to make those choices. They're going to sometimes go beyond the Mars bar and think a little bit more about what a healthy diet looks like for the people that they're trying to serve. So I'm working on Luna Pro right now. I've, I've working with six manufacturers from around the world and talking to um, the biggest engineering companies, the biggest um, office companies, the biggest healthcare companies, all about how choosing good quality lighting makes very, very good business sense because not only does it help them, their employees to feel better, to behave better, it helps students to learn more quickly, it helps patients to recover more quickly, it helps the environment because you tend to use less energy if you've um, thought about your lighting solution carefully and it also is good for the planet because very often those very cheap bottom bargain basement products uh, have been created with very low levels of compliance in terms of where the minerals come from and whether they're recyclable or not and so we know that if you choose if you invest in good quality lighting, it's good for people and it's good for profit and it's good for the planet. And so that's what I'm working on at the moment. And it's it's fascinating and really amazing to see how some people have really understood how light can be an incredible power for good. And so that's my next mission. I suppose what I, my mission is, so is that one day the light bulbs will not be in the same aisle in the supermarket as the bleach and the toilet roll I think it should be in the same aisle as the healthy eating or as the um, as anything else that you would choose because you care about the people that you're going to serve in some way whether that be serving your the, your family members with a with a home that is comfortable and sustainable and beautiful and healthy or the people that you want to take care of in a hospital or in a home and so that's my mission is that we shift from a cost conversation about light to a value conversation about light. Absolutely. That's fascinating. That's going to be great to see um, what the outcome of that is. I think it's uh, it's a great project. I know I've helped just personally with my son's school, um, his elementary school, trying to, you know, as you can with their budget, help their lighting, you know, especially the areas where they don't have a lot of daylight. I mean, it's you just see it so it makes such a big difference to improve the lighting and to give them that um, the quality or the variation being able to dim um yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm seeing it with my son's school, so it's definitely like that's a very personal thing for me. Um, so now I'm really excited to see what you um, what comes out of this. Uh, it's going to be great to see. 
What are some resources that listeners can go to to learn more about the impact of light on children on health and for the Luna Project? Where, where can people go to learn more? Well, um, I have a website, which is Age of Light Innovations. Uh, they can reach out to me there, ageoflightinnovations.com. And as you can tell, I'm passionate about this. So if there are groups who want me to speak to them, then I'm always more than happy to do that. It's a privilege to to be in a position to share some of this information. Uh, Luna has, there's a YouTube channel. There's a link to that on the website. So that may be the, the first port of call uh, to the, yeah, Luna has a has a YouTube channel that you're welcome to, 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 to check out. And I'm in the process of writing a little book about this. So that'll be available in the next, well, certainly by September. So I'll be posting that and maybe sharing that through through you. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, so I'm going to put some links in my show notes um, for your website for the Edge of um, Innovations and the YouTube channel. I will put links in that so if people can go check that. It would be great to see the book, so you'll have to let me know when that comes out, and we'll add that, that link in I too. certainly will. I certainly will. Yeah. So I have one final question I ask all my guests, and that's if you could give our listeners one piece of advice to improve their lighting, what would it be? The one piece of advice I would give is to really make the most of natural light. I think that is the most natural, the most beautiful, the most wonderful, the most miraculous thing. I think to invite our children and young people to be aware that every single photon that reaches their eye has come from the Big Bang. It's travelled through space to be to meet you at this moment in time, I think is something to reflect on and celebrate and invite everybody to to cherish really so that's the the first thing I would say is use your windows use the door get outside there's no such thing as bad weather there's just inadequate clothing that's the first thing I would say I think the second thing I would say is to um, really invest in light it's the 80-20 rule I would say Think about your home and where you spend most time together, the places that matter most. And that might be the spaces where you share food. It might be the spaces where you have a cuddle before bed, where you read the book before bed, the things that you do together. And really make sure that you create an environment, a lighting environment that is beautiful and uplifting and wonderful in those spaces because it doesn't have to be amazing everywhere there you'll look around your home and realize that you spend probably 80 percent of your time in a few very key places so i would suggest that you really take the time to invest in making a beautiful lighting environment in those most vital places and those are the things which i think will create long-lasting memories for your children and for your parents in a way that my early experiences of being outside in the tropics uh, will always stay with me through my life. Well, that's a wonderful idea. Yeah, definitely focus on the areas that are important in your house. And I think that's that's a great um, that's a great idea. So thank you so much for coming on. It's been amazing to listen to your work and what you're working on and the research that you've done. I think it's going to be valuable information for all the listeners. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Shelley James about how lighting has a profound impact on children's growing brains 
and learn simple ways we can help them live healthier lives through the right lighting. Check out the show notes for links to the Age of Innovations Group website and their YouTube channel for more resources and information on their work. If there are other topics you'd like me to discuss, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a DM on Instagram or leave a comment on this episode with any lighting questions you have or topics you'd like to see covered. And remember, every home deserves great lighting, whatever your budget. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with others. And I'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and leave a quick review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps new ones like mine be found by others. If you'd like more lighting inspiration, follow me on Instagram at Your Lighting Lady. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.